Chapter 15 of The Side of Angels by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 15 Having slept soundly till after eight in the morning, Thor woke with an odd sense of pleasure. On regaining his faculties, he was able to analyse it as the pleasure he had experienced in having Claude tugging at his arm. It meant that Claude was happy, and Claude being happy, Rosie would be happy. Claude and Rosie were taken care of. Consequently, Lois would be taken care of. Thor turned the idiom over with a vast content. It was the tune to which he bathed and dressed. They would all three be taken care of. Those who were taken care of were as folded sheep. His mind could be at rest concerning them. It was something to have the mind at rest, even at the cost of heartache. There was, of course, one intention that before all others must be carried out. He would have to clinch the statement he had made, for the sake of appeasing and convincing Claude concerning Lois Willoughby. It was something to be signed and sealed before Claude could see her or betray the daring assertion to his parents. Fortunately, the younger brother's duties at the bank would deprive him of any such opportunity earlier than nightfall, so that Thor himself was free for the regular tasks of the day. He kept, therefore, his office hours during the forenoon, and visited his few patients after a hasty luncheon. There was one patient whom he omitted, whom he would leave henceforth to Dr. Hilary. It was but little after four when he arrived at the house at the corner of Willoughby's Lane and County Street. Mrs. Willoughby met him in the hall, across which she happened to be bustling. She wore an apron, and struck him as curiously businesslike. As he had never before seen her share in household tasks, her present aspect seemed to denote a change of heart. "'Oh, come in, Thor,' she said briskly. "'I'm glad you've come. Go up and see poor Len. He's so depressed. You'll cheer him.' If there was a forced note in her bravery, he did not perceive it. "'I'm glad to see you're not depressed,' he observed as he took off his overcoat. She shrugged her shoulders. "'I'm going to die game, which means that there's fight in me yet.' "'Fight?' His brows went up anxiously. "'Oh, not with your father. You needn't be afraid of that. Besides, I see well enough it would be no use. If he says we've spent our money, he's got everything fixed to make it look so, whether we've spent it or not.' "'No, I'm not going to spare him because he's your father. "'I'm going to say what I think, and if you don't like it, you can lump it. "'I shan't go to law. I'd get the worst of it if I did. "'But neither shall I be bottled up, so there.' "'It doesn't matter what you say to me,' Thor began, with significant stress on the ultimate word. "'It may not matter what I say to you, but I can tell you it will matter what I say to other people.' Thor took no notice of that. "'And if you're not going to law, would it be indiscreet to ask what you are going to do?' Bessie forced the note of bravery again with a flash in her little eyes. "'I'm going to live on my income. That's what I'm going to do. Thank the Lord I've got some money left. I didn't let Archie Masterman get his hands on all of it. Not me. I've got some money left, and we've got this house. I'm going to let it. I'm going to let it tomorrow, if I get the chance. I'm getting it ready now. And then we're going abroad. Oh, I know lots of places where you can live. Petit Trou, Parcher, dear little places, too.' "'where well, Len'll have a chance to—to to get better.' Thor made a big resolution. "'If you're going to let the house, why not let it to me?' She knew what was coming, but it made her feel faint. Back into one of the Regency chairs she sank into it. It was in mere pretense that she said, "'What do you want it for?' "'I want it because I want to marry Lois,' he added with an anxiety that sprang of his declaration to Claude. "'Do you think she'll take me?' 
Bessie spoke with conviction. "'She'll take you, unless she's more of a fool than I think. "'Of course she'll take you. "'Any woman in her senses would jump at you. "'I know I would.' "'She dashed away a tear. "'But look here, Thor,' she hurried on. "'If you marry Lois, you won't have the whole family on your back, you know. "'You won't be marrying Len and me. "'I tell you right now, because you're the sort that'll think he ought to do it. "'Well, you won't have to. "'I mean what I say when I tell you we're going to live on our income, "'what's left of it. "'We can, and we will, and we're going to.' "'Couldn't we talk about all that when—' "'When you're married to Lois and have more of a right to speak? "'No, we'll talk about it now, and never any more. "'Len and I are going to have plenty, plenty. "'If you think I can't manage, well, you'll see.' "'Oh, I know you've got lots of pluck, Mrs. Willoughby.' "'She sprang to her feet. "'With her hands thrust jauntily into the pockets of her apron, "'she looked like some poor little soubrette, "'grown middle-aged, stout and rather grotesque, in a Marivaux play.' She acted her part well. Pluck! Oh, I've got more than that. I've got some ability. If you never knew it before, you'll see it now. I spent a lot, but then I've had a lot, or thought I had. And now that I'm going to have little, well, I'll show you I can cut my coat according to my cloth as well as the next one. I, I don't doubt that in the least, and yet, and yet you want us to have all our money back. Oh, I know what you meant yesterday afternoon. I didn't see it at the time. I had so many things to think of, but I caught on to it as soon as I got home. "'We should get it back because you give it to us. "'Well, you won't. "'You can marry Lois, if she'll marry you, "'and I hope to the Lord she won't be such a goose as to refuse you, "'and you can take the house off our hands, "'but more than that you won't be able to do, "'not if you were Thor Masterman ten times over.' "'He smiled. "'I shouldn't like to be that. "'Once is bad enough.' "'Her little eyes shone tearily. "'All the same, I like you for it. "'I do believe that if you hadn't said it "'I should have gone to law.' I certainly meant to, but when I saw how nice you were— Dashing away another tear, she changed her tone suddenly. Tell me, what did your mother say after I left yesterday? Thor informed her that, to the best of his knowledge, she hadn't said anything. Bessie chuckled. I didn't leave her much to say, did I? Well, I'm glad to have had the opportunity of talking it out with her. You certainly talked it out, if that's the word. Yes, didn't I? And now I suppose she's mad. Thor was unable to affirm as much as this. In fact, the conversation, since Mrs. Willoughby liked to apply that term to the encounter, had induced in his stepmother, as far as he could see, a somewhat superior frame of mind. "'Well, I hope it'll do her as much good as it did me,' Betty sighed devoutly. "'And now that I've let off steam, I'll go round and make it up. Now go and see Len. He'll want to talk to you.' Thor intimated that he would be glad of a minute with Lois to which Mrs. Willoughby replied that Lois was having one of her fits of bird craze. She was in the kitchen at that minute getting suet with which to go up into the woods and feed the chickadees. Good Lord! There had been chickadees since the world began, and they had lived through the winter somehow. Bessie had no patience with what she called nature fads, but it was as easy to talk sense into a chickadee itself as to keep Lois from going into the woods with two or three pounds of suet after every snowstorm. She undertook, however, to delay her daughter's departure on this errand, till warning had been given to Thor. Upstairs, Thor found Len sitting in his big armchair, clad in a gorgeous dressing-gown. He was idle, stupefied, and woebegone. With his bushy, snow-white hair and beard, his puffy cheeks, his sagging mouth, and his clumsy bulk, he produced an effect half-spectral and half-fleshly, but quite pathetically ludicrous. His hand trembled violently as he held it toward his visitor. 
Not well today, Thor, he complained. Ought to be back in bed. Any other man would have got up. Always had too much energy. Awful blow, Thor, awful blow. Never could have believed it of your father. But I'm not down yet. Go to work, make another fortune. That's what I'll do. Thor sympathised with his friend's intentions, and, having slipped downstairs again, found Lois in the hall, a basket containing a varied assortment of bird foods on her arm. When she had given him permission to accompany her, they took their way up Willoughby's Lane, whence it was possible to pass into the woodland stretches of the hillside. The day was clear and cold, with just enough wind to wake the Aeolian harp of the forest into sound. Once in the woods, they advanced warily. "'Listen to the red poles,' Lois whispered. She paused, leaning forward, her face alight. There was nothing visible, but a low, continuous warble interspersed with a sort of liquid rattle struck the ear. Taking a bunch of millet stalks from her basket, she directed Thor while he tied them to the bough of a birch that trailed its lower branches to the snow. When they had gone forward, they perceived, on looking around, that some dozen or twenty of the crimson-headed birds had found their food. So they went on, scattering seeds or crumbs in sheltered spots, and fixing masses of suet in conspicuous places to a reproving chirrup of dee-dee, chick-a-dee-dee-dee, from friendly little throats. The basket was almost emptied by the time they reached the outskirts of the wood and neared the top of the hill. Lois was fastening the last bunch of millet stalks to a branch hanging just above her head. Thor stood behind her, holding the basket, and noticing, as he had often noticed before, the slim shapeliness of her hands. In spite of the cold they were bare, the fur of the cuffs falling back sufficiently to display the exquisitely formed wrists. "'Lois, when can we be married?' She gave no sign of having heard him, unless it was that her hands stopped for an instant in the deft rapidity of their task. Within a few seconds they had resumed their work, though it seemed to him with less sureness in the supple movement of the fingers. Beyond the upturned collar of her coat, he saw the stealing of a warm, slow flush. He was moved. He hardly knew how. He hardly knew how, except that it was with an emotion different from that which Rosie Fay had always roused in him. In that case, the impulse was primarily physical. He couldn't have said what it was primarily in this. It was perhaps mental or spiritual, or only sympathetic. But it was an emotion. He was sure of that, though he was less sure that it had the nature of love. As for love, since yesterday, the words sickened him. Its association had become, for the present, at any rate, both sacred and appalling. He couldn't have used it, even if he had been more positive concerning the blends that made up his present sentiment. It was to postpone as long as possible the moment for turning around that Lois worked unnecessarily at the fastening of her millet stalks. They were not yet secured to her satisfaction, when, urged by a sudden impulse, he bent forward, and kissed her wrist. She allowed him to do this without protest, while she knotted the ends of her string. But he was obliged to turn at last. "'I didn't know you wanted to be married,' she said, with shy frankness. He responded as simply as she. "'But now that you do know it, how soon can it be?' "'Why are you asking me?' For, Before he had time to reply, she went on, "'Is it because Papa has got into trouble?' He was ready with his answer. "'It's because he's got into trouble that I'm asking you today, "'but I've been meaning to ask you for years and years.' 
She uttered something like a little cry. Oh, Thor, is that true? The fact that he must make so many reservations impelled him to be the more ardent in what he could affirm without putting a strain on his conscience. I can swear to it, Lois, if you want me to. It began as long ago as when I was a youngster and you were a little girl. She clasped her hands tightly. Oh, Thor! Since that time there hasn't been a... He's going to say a day, but he made a rapid correction. There hasn't been a year when I haven't looked forward to your being my wife. He allowed a few seconds to pass before adding, I should think you'd have seen it. She answered as well as a joyous distress would let her. I did see it, Thor, or thought I did, for a while. Only latterly... You mustn't judge by latterly, he broke in hastily. Latterly I've had a good deal to go through. "'Oh, you poor Thor, tell me about it.' Nothing would have eased his heart more effectively than to have poured out to her the whole flood of his confidence. It was what he was accustomed to doing when in her company. He could talk to her with more open heart than he had ever been able to talk to any one. It would have been a relief to tell her the whole story of Rosie Fay. And if he refrained from taking this course, it was only because he reminded himself that it wouldn't do. It obviously wouldn't do.' He was unable to say why it wouldn't do, except on the general ground that there were things a man had better keep to himself. He curbed, therefore, his impulse toward frankness to say, "'I can't, because there are things I shall never be able to talk about. If I could speak of them to anyone, it would be to you.' She looked at him anxiously. "'It's nothing that I have to do with, is it?' "'Only in so far as you have to do with everything that concerns me.' Tears in her eyes could not keep her face from growing radiant. "'Oh, Thor, how can I believe it?' "'It's true, Lois. "'I can hardly go back to the time when, in my own mind, it hasn't been true.' "'But I'm not worthy of it,' she said, half tearfully. "'I hope it isn't a question of worthiness on the one side or the other. "'It's just a matter of, of our belonging together.' "'It was not in doubt, but with imploring looks of happiness that she said, "'Oh, are you sure we do?' He was glad she could accept his formula. It not only simplified matters, but enabled him to be sincere. The fact that in his own way he was quite sincere rendered him the more grateful to her for not forcing him, or trying to force him, to express himself insincerely. It was almost as if she divined his state of mind. "'Words aren't of much use between us,' he declared, in his appreciation of this attitude on her part. "'We're more or less independent of them, don't you think?' She nodded her approval of this sentiment, as her eyes followed the action of her fingers in buttoning her gloves. "'But I'll tell you what I feel as exactly as I can put it,' he went on. "'It's that you're essential to me, and I'm essential to you. At least,' he subjoined humbly, "'I hope I'm essential to you.' She nodded again, her face averted, her eyes still following the movements of her fingers at her wrist. "'I, I can't express it in language very different from that.' he stammered, because, well, because I'm not, not very happy, and the chief thing I feel about you is that you're a kind of, of shelter. He had found the word that explained his state of mind. It was as a shelter that he was seeking her. If there were points of view from which his object was to protect her, there were others from which he needed protection for himself. In desiring her as his wife, he was, as it were, fleeing to a refuge, he did desire her as his wife, even though but yesterday he had more violently desired Rosie Fay. 
The violence was perhaps the secret of his reaction, not that it was reaction so much as the turning of his footsteps towards home. He was homing to her. He was homing to her by an instinct beyond his skill to analyse, though he knew it to be as straight and sure as that of the pigeon to the cot. There was a silence following his use of the word shelter, a silence in which she seemed to envelop him with her deep, luminous regard. The still, remote beauty of the winter woods, the notes of friendly birds, the sweet, wild music of the wind in the treetops accompanied that look, as mystery and incense and organ harmonies go with benedictions. "'Oh, Thor, you're wonderful,' was all she could say when words came to her. "'You make me feel as if I could be of some use in the world. "'What's more wonderful still, you make me feel as if I have been of use all these years "'when I've felt so useless.' It was in the stress of the sensation of having wandered into far exotic regions in which his feet could only stray, that he said simply, "'You're home to me.' She was so near to bursting into tears that she turned from him sharply and walked up the hill. He followed slowly, swinging the empty basket. Her buoyant step on the snow, over which the frost had drawn the thinnest of shining crusts, gave a nymph-like smoothness to her motion. Having reached the treeless ridge, she emerged on that high altar on which, not twenty-four hours earlier, he had sunk face downward in the snow. The snow had drifted again over his footprints and the mark of his form. It was drifting still, in little powdery whirls, across a surface that caught tints of crimson and glimpse of fire from an angry sunset. It was windy here. As she stood above him, facing the north, her figure poised against a glowering sky, her garment blew backward. Even when he reached her and was standing by her side, she continued to gaze outward across the undulating, snow-covered country, in the folds of which an occasional farmhouse lamp shone like a pale twilight star. "'You see, it's this way,' he pursued, as though there had been no interruption. "'When I'm with you, I seem to get back to my natural conditions, the conditions in which I can live and work. That's what I mean by your being home to me.' Other places, he ventured this much of the confession he had at heart, other places have their temptations, but it's only at home that one lives. He took courage to go on from the way in which her loved hand stole into his. I dare say you think I talk too much about work, but after all we can't forget that we live in a country in the making, can we? In a way, it's a world in the making. There's everything to do, and I want to be doing some of it, Lois he declared with a little outburst. I can't help it. I know some people think I'm an enthusiast, and others put me down as a prig, but I can't help it. I know you can't, Thor, and I can't tell you how much I... She felt for the right word. I admire it. He turned to her eagerly. You're the only one, Lois, who knows what I mean, who can speak my language. You want to be useful, too. And I never have been. Nor I. I've known that things were to be done, but I haven't known how to set about them, or, or where to begin. Don't you think we may be able to find the way together? She seemed suddenly to cling to him. Oh, Thor, if you'd only make me half as good as you are! Perhaps the ardour with which he seized her was the unspent force of the longing roused in him by Rosie. Perhaps it blazed up in him merely because she was a woman. For two or three days now his need of the feminine had been acute. Did she minister to that, or did she bring him something that could be offered by but one woman in the world? 
he couldn't tell. He only knew that he had her in his arms, with his lips on hers, and that he was content. He was content with a sense of fulfilment and appeasement. It was as if he had been straining for a great prize, and won the second, but at a moment when he had expected none at all. There was happiness in it, even if it was a quieter, staider happiness than that of which he now knew himself to be capable. "'Your home to me, Louise,' he murmured as he held her. "'Your home to me.' He meant that though there were strange, entrancing Edens on which he had not been allowed to enter, there was nevertheless a vast peace of mind to be found at the restful, friendly fireside. "'And you're the whole wide world to me, Thor,' she whispered, clasping her arms about his neck and drawing his face nearer. End of chapter 15